You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. So, obstacles to sharing our faith. We're going to do this for six weeks. Normally at Church of the Redeemer we go through a book of the Bible and we will go through a New Testament book at the end of six weeks. But our staff back in the spring had a burden to say, really one of the reasons this church started out of Cedar Springs now six years ago was to really be a place of mission to share Jesus in this particular expression uh, in Blunt County and beyond, as we say. And from time to time, it's one of those things that kind of leaks away from the church. There are two things, I think, in the American context that the church really just needs to constantly emphasize, otherwise we just won't really do them. That's prayer and evangelism. Christians will naturally like to get around each other, and if we didn't have any small group program, you guys would do it on your own anyway, because Christians are good at that. But we need encouragements from time to time for prayer and evangelism. We're going to talk about both of those things today. John 15, verses 1 through 11 is our scripture that we'll be spending most of our time in. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the gospel of Christ. When I was in college at the University of Tennessee, I was a part of a great ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, InterVarsity. And one of InterVarsity's big hallmarks was student leadership. They really wanted students to take the reins. They didn't just have dynamic staff that led everything and did everything. They wanted students to do the work. And one of the big things they wanted students to do was evangelism. Sharing our faith. It goes by other negative names like proselytizing or imposing your faith on others. And when they would ask us to do these kinds of things, I often got very scared. And mostly it was because of an imaginative block. You see, I viewed evangelism mostly as sharing Jesus with a stranger 
and they converted to Jesus right there on the spot. That was what my view of evangelism was. Sharing Jesus with a stranger, and they convert right on the spot. And so I was always terrified to do this, because the University of Tennessee is the most secular square mile we have in all of East Tennessee. It was anti-Christian, post-Christian. I often got made fun of in my classes for being a Christian. And so that was an incredibly intimidating thing for an introvert like me who just wants to be liked. Man, I don't want to do evangelism. That just means people are going to hate me, right? But that was an imaginative block. Because when I looked backwards on my life, I shared Jesus all the time. I just didn't realize that's what I was doing. For instance, when I was in high school, I had several different advanced placement AP classes. And some of my closest friends in those classes all the way through high school were not Christians. It was a Jew, there was a Muslim, several atheists. And all the time, I just was a guy. I just was doing my thing, and I would talk about church. I would talk about Jesus. I would talk about prayer. And I didn't realize at the time that what I was doing was evangelism, however much that might be a word we don't really like, whether we're a Christian or non-Christian. And non-Christians definitely don't like that word. It was an imaginative block. And that's one of the reasons why we're calling this series Obstacles to Sharing Our Faith instead of evangelism training or something like that. First, because many people have their own preconceptions of what evangelism means, and most of it's bad. Second, the reason I think we need to talk about this is because we either find that our church, that a lot of Christians don't really share their faith, or they don't realize, like me, that they were already sharing their faith. So we want to do just six weeks of a preaching series on this. And today, I want to start with what I think is the most significant obstacle for why Christians do not share their faith, which is this. They don't know Jesus as well as they think they do. We don't know Jesus as well as we think we do. In this John 15 passage, the whole passage is about knowing and abiding in Jesus as the vine, and Christians, his disciples, he says, his followers, are his fruit-bearing branches. So as we look at this obstacle of the faith, I want to look at what fruit-bearing means. That's the first point this morning. Secondly, how we become fruitful. Third, how do we keep being fruitful, and fourth, what do we get out of being fruitful? Four points this morning. What fruit bearing means, how we become fruitful, how do we keep being fruitful, and what do we get, fourthly, out of being fruitful? So first, what does fruit bearing mean? This passage mentions followers of Christ as bearing his fruit at least five times. In verse 2, verse 4, verse 5, verse 8, and then a verse we didn't read, verse 16. Jesus' followers bear his fruit. What does that mean? Well, the first implication of fruitfulness is that it means improved character. We read Galatians 5, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And those who follow Jesus and have his Spirit indwelled in them will more and more bear out these beautiful virtues. Goodness, kindness, gentleness. Beginning to think and act like Jesus is what Galatians 5 is really all about. And that is definitely a part of what fruit bearing means, but we need to go further because we need to take stock of what the metaphor means. What does it mean to bear fruit? And how does a branch bear more fruit? Well, a branch bears more fruit if it's getting nutrients from the vine and ultimately from the root system that it needs. Whether this is a a fruit tree or a vegetable plant, the more good nutrients that are coming up from the soil that it needs the more the plant can grow fruit. And Jesus, as the vine, is giving us nutrients. Specifically in verse 9, 
He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. To be a fruit-bearing person is not just to think and act like Jesus, it's to actually feed on Jesus. To feed on the very love that he gives us so that we give it to others. The implication here is that Jesus shows us patience, kindness, gentleness, strength, and goodness, and all of these things are synonyms for love, and we're supposed to show those things to others. And that love that we show to others has eternal implications. If you went back several chapters to John 4, Jesus is talking to a woman at a well, and he says he is planning a harvest. That's another horticultural term. He's planning a harvest as fruit for eternal life. The implication then is that this particular form of love that we get nourished from Jesus and share to others is love that will eventually result in people coming to know Jesus for the first time. Fruit bearing has eternal implications. It actually means sharing Jesus with others in word and deed. Where we get that in this passage is in verse 5, when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. On the face of that, that seems totally wrong. There are plenty of non-Christians who do plenty of good things in this world. Jesus in verse 5 can only be making sense if he has an eternal perspective. When he says, apart from me, you can do nothing of eternal value. Which means those who bear fruit are those who bear fruit for eternal value. In the eyes of eternity, are we bearing fruit? Are we sharing Jesus in word and deed? The very love that we get from him, are we sharing it with others? Let me put all this together. Bearing fruit in Jesus means to love like he loves in word and deed and love like he loves you so that you can help win others to knowing Jesus for the first time as well. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time in the American church, we've often been tricked out of this definition. In the past two decades, I have heard a bunch in our own denomination, in churches around this community, the distinguishing between what we call discipleship, growing Christians, and evangelism, which is sharing Jesus with people who don't know Jesus for the first time. And a lot of times people will say, well, we're a church that really believes in discipleship. We want to grow Christians. And that's said in distinction from sharing Jesus doing evangelism. Well, a lot of times then, discipleship gets defined as growing in Bible knowledge or overcoming a besetting sin. And those are good things, and the Bible talks about those things in many other places, and we should be reading the Bible and growing in Bible knowledge. But that's not really what fruitfulness means here. See, if you're actually a disciple of Jesus, then you'll do what he says, and one of the things he says is to share more about Jesus. There is no ultimate distinguishing between discipleship and evangelism then. There shouldn't be at least. You should just share Jesus with everyone. And if you happen to be sharing Jesus with a Christian, they're going to be growing in their faith and they're being more of a follower of Jesus. And if you're sharing Jesus with a non-Christian, you'll be doing evangelism and it's the same thing. You'll just be bearing fruit no matter who you are. So if fruitfulness in Jesus is about how well you are loving other people to feed them Christ in word and deed, how well are you doing at that? If you're honest with yourself, you probably don't share Jesus as much as you'd like, which that leads to our second point now, which is how do we become fruitful? How do we become fruitful? In verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples to abide in him. And again in verse 5, for repetition, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much 
fruit. Let's think about what that word means, abide. Other translations will say the word remain, and you can get the same sense from both. But essentially what it means is make a dwelling in Jesus as he wants to make a dwelling in you. Be at home in him. Stay there. And home is a place of safety and relaxation and comfort and joy and being known. Or at least it ought to be. At its best, that's what it is. So, of course, a non-Christian cannot bear eternal fruit because they do not live with Jesus. And that's circular reasoning, right? Because a non-Christian wouldn't want to share Jesus and feed Jesus as eternal fruit to others. But the way a Christian becomes more fruitful then is not necessarily to abide more. Follow me really carefully on this point. Because a Christian already has a home in Christ and a true Christian is some, someone who God the Holy Spirit is already dwelling in them. You can't actually abide more than you already do. If God lives in you and you live in God, you can't abide more. But you can be more aware that you abide. And this is the sense that Jesus is talking to his disciples about. This is why Jesus is so repetitive about the relationship of God the Father to God the Son, to us, or, to, us to others in this passage. There's this whole relationship, God the Father to the Son, to the Spirit in us, to others. Look at this, in verse 1, Jesus says, the Father's the vine dresser, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. In verse 9, the Father loves Jesus and Jesus loves us. In verse 12, Jesus says to love one another as I have loved you. He's being so repetitive. He's repeating himself over and over and over again. From the Father to Jesus to the Spirit in us to others. Because he simply just wants us to grow in awareness of the reality that's already true for the Christian. This is a reality that's true whether you're aware of it or not. But the more aware of it you are, the more you abide in that awareness, the more fruit you will bear. This is like everyday air. The air of the atmosphere contains approximately 20% oxygen, which our lungs need for breathing in order to stay alive. And that's true whether or not you know it. I had to look it up. I thought it was about 18 to 20%. I was right. Uh, most of the air is made up of nitrogen, incidentally. But that's true whether you know it or not. Your lungs need oxygen, and whether you knew there was 20% of oxygen in the air, you would need it. Now, many different religions have a spiritual discipline related to breathing the air. Christianity, most of all, but you can find this in forms of Buddhism and mystical forms of Islam and Judaism. But this idea of controlling your breathing and making it a form of prayer, and I think Christians have the best version of this, of course I do, but even in Everyday life now, you can go to a therapist's office and they'll give you breathing tactics on how to deal with your anxiety. The more aware of the air you become by certain breathing tactics, neuroscience is even teaching us right now that the more regulated our brain becomes and the, the more healthy response we'll have to anxiety and the less our fight-flight mode gets turned on in our brain. Now let's give this a specific Christian inflection here. Jesus says to the Christian to abide in him just as he abides in us and just like the air. We live in the air and the air lives in us. And like air, the more aware of it we become through breathing prayer, the more we will realize we will abide in Christ to the Father and the more effectiveness our fruitfulness will become to others. We can only live because God lives in us and we can only feed others eternal fruit if we are sustained by the one who feeds us. And this gets us to the heart of this sermon's theme. 
one reason you might not share your faith is that you don't knowingly, with awareness, abide in Jesus as much as you think you do. Let me repeat that. One reason you might not share your faith is that you don't knowingly, with awareness, abide in Jesus as much as you think you do. Because if you did regularly and knowingly abide in Jesus' love, it would be the natural thing that came out of you. When the doctor at the doctor's office asks you to take a big inhale in order to listen to your heart, the most natural thing that happens, you exhale. So when poked and prodded by the stresses of life, the more you abide in Jesus, the more the fruit of Jesus will just naturally come out of you as opposed to defensiveness, vindictiveness, or fear. And then evangelism wouldn't be a program or something on your to-do list, would it? You'd just share Jesus in word and deed naturally in your life more and more and more. The more you abide in Jesus, the more you knowingly, with awareness, are in the presence of Christ you will naturally share that with you, even to someone who hates religion. Listen clearly. I am not saying you should want to share your faith more, though I think you should want to share your faith more. I'm saying something more nuanced than that. I'm saying you will share your faith more the more you abide in Jesus. Now, of course, because all of life goes in ebbs and flows, we from time to time have more seasons of effectiveness and less seasons of effectiveness in anything, but particularly in this area. And this leads us to our third point, which is how do we keep being fruitful? How do we keep being fruitful? By implication, there's really four types of people according to the metaphor of this passage. The first type of person is not really mentioned, but it's those who aren't a part of the vine at all, those who aren't Christians at all. The second type of person is in verse 2 and verse 6, which is those branches that don't bear fruit, which are cut off and thrown into the fire. The implication here, especially for ancient Israel, as Jesus is talking in the first century, and for us today, is there are those people who think they are a part of the people of God. There are those people who think they're really Christians. They come to church, but they're not really Christians. They don't really feed on Christ. They're not really bearing any fruit on the vine even though they think they are. The third type of person is a really fruitful person, and we've already discussed them. And the fourth type of person in verse 2 is the branch that does bear fruit, but it could be pruned so that it bears even more fruit. It could be a super producing fruit. And if you're a Christian in the room this morning, this is likely the camp you're in. This is the camp that I'm in. Always needing to be pruned so that Jesus can make me even more fruitful. You may know that I love gardening, and I'm getting into veggie gardening for the first time this year, but I've been a flower gardener for like six years. And the equivalent principle in flower gardening is deadheading to pruning of a fruit or a vegetable plant. Deadheading is chopping off those parts of the flower, especially an annual blooming perennial. You chop off the parts of the flower that have withered or almost withered, and you go all the way down to the next stem. And the more and more you keep doing that, the more and more you will bloom throughout the summer. So I have all these cosmos around my mailbox, and cosmos are just this bright, really tiny little orange flower, orange and yellow, just everywhere, just perfect summer hues. And it's technically an annual, but I self-seed them every year so that they just come back every year. And they started blooming at the beginning of June. If I had done nothing... They'd be done blooming by really the beginning of July. But I've been deadheading them at least once a week all summer. And still, if you went to my mailbox today, they're just this high off the ground and they are just brimming with color because I was pruning them, because I was deadheading them so that they'd be even more fruitful. For the Christian then, to be pruned, to be deadheaded, so to speak, 
means subjecting ourselves to certain kinds of pain or strain from God that may hurt in the short term but bring beauty in the long run. A lot of times in our very therapeutic culture, and I'm, I'm for therapy, but a lot of times the assumption that we can inculcate is that God just kind of wants me to not have any pain. Well, that's not true. God wants you to be pruned. Here's some examples of what that might look like in your life to bear more fruit. You may have to change your habit of sleeping in so that you can wake up maybe just 15 minutes earlier to abide more in prayer with Christ in silence and solitude. You may have to change your weekly routine a little bit. Less for the sake of your own convenience, but so that you can be more spontaneously available to the people who aren't Christians in your life so you can listen to them more or just be available. You may have to say no to your kids getting involved in tons of activities so you can have folks over for dinner more. Or, alternatively, instead of doom scrolling on social media while you're at your kids' sports practice, maybe you get to know some of the other parents on the team. That one, I'm guilty of that one. I don't doom scroll because I don't have a smartphone, but I do just kind of want to sit there and read a book because I'm an introvert. Lord needs to work on me too. How does he want to prune you? I don't actually, I, those are just examples. In your own abiding with Jesus, how is he leading you to be pruned to bear more fruit? Let Jesus reveal that to you. Don't let me put that on you. You abide in Christ and let him reveal that to you. Now, finally, do we do any of these things out of duty or drudgery? And I hope not. Our fourth point this morning, what do we get out of our fruitfulness? What do we get out of this? Jesus provides the purpose statement in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This whole enterprise is not just about duty. It's not just about bearing fruit and doing our good Christian duty and therefore checking some boxes or, you know, maybe Jesus will like us more. Though he won't, Jesus already loves you as much as he possibly could. No, no, the whole point of this is Jesus saying, hey, look, I want you to have fun. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If sharing Christ seems like a burden to you, how can you reframe this in your head so that it actually gives you great joy? Let me tell you a story about how this happened in my life once. I, I was a part of the final step in someone's journey to meet Christ once, and I totally wasn't expecting it. In fact, I, I don't remember how the meeting started, but I was meeting the spouse of one of the seminary students that I was mentoring. So I was mentoring this young man. He was in his early 20s, and he had just gotten married. And for some reason, his his spouse who they were a part of my ministry at my church wanted to meet with me and talk and we start talking and she kind of says I don't really know how to pray I'd love some help like kind of figuring out how to pray so I start pressing in more to this and I start realizing that she's asking a a deeper question you see she's married this guy and she's realizing all of a sudden she's not a Christian she's even worked for a church before but she's never really prayed in her life and She's now surrounded by all these Christians because she's on a Christian seminary campus, all these people studying to be pastors or counselors or whatever. And she's so embarrassed to admit this, but she doesn't know how to become a Christian. And I'm just listening and I'm listening and and eventually I ask, are you telling me that you want to meet Jesus and you've never met him before? And then she looked at me like, yeah, that's it. Like you you finally, I told my secret to a safe person and I said, well, do you want to meet Jesus right now? And she goes, yes. And so we prayed. 
And I just said, you know, pray with me, but pray what's on your heart. Uh, there's a little bit of repeat after me, but there's a little bit of what do you want to say to Jesus? And how, you know, confess your sin, these kinds of things. And when we got done praying, we looked up and there was this glow in her eyes. The burden had fallen from her shoulders and it was like she was floating in the room. And you know what I realized in that moment? This is a lot of fun. I get to, what? Now you could say, well, that's your job. You're a pastor. No, no, no. I mean, I was just a guy just listening and asking questions. And this could have been anybody, just the one safe person in her life. And I just like was listening well enough to go, oh, you, you want to be a Christian and you don't know how. Oh my gosh. And I was having a blast. That was a great privilege. That's a lot of fun to be a part of. And that's what I want for you. I want you to abide in Jesus and I want you to be pruned and I want you to have joy and all of that will be fruitful because that's what Jesus did for you. Hebrews 12 says that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Yeah, he endured it. Yeah, it was duty. Yeah, it was drudgery. But there was a joy on the other side of that which made him excited to do it. And what was it? Well, what did the cross accomplish? It accomplished reunion with those that Jesus wanted to die for, you and me and any sinner who knows they need Jesus. And Jesus said, that's actually what will give me joy, to be near them, to be with them, to be in relationship with them, to be with you. That's what gives Jesus joy. When you see that that's what gives Jesus joy and that's the joy he wants to share with you, that's the joy you're gonna wanna share with others. That's the fruitfulness that is gonna flow out of your life by being pruned, by bearing fruit being just available to share Jesus with whoever is in your life, wherever you are, at any moment. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess that we don't share about Jesus enough, and we are just praying for one person maybe we could share Jesus with this week. We are just praying for one person in the next six weeks that we might just be available not for our glory, not for the glory of this church, but simply for your glory. Would you make us want that even more? Teach us to abide. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.